Thanks. Awesome. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Yeah. Amen. I am as well. Uh, why don't we stand to our feet as the worship team assembles? There should be like a signal or something. Worship team, assemble. Amen. Anybody have a long day at work? There's a few. Anybody have a long day of not work? There's a few of those too. Amen. I, I, I'm just thankful that we can come together. I, uh, I legitimately don't know how people do it without the body of Christ. Uh, maybe sometime you could tell me if you think you've got it figured out. And I could reassure you that you, in fact, do not have it figured out. Uh, but I, I don't know how people do it without getting together with people of like precious faith and looking at one another and, and just deciding that we're going to serve God together. So why don't you find somebody right now that is not related to you by blood or by marriage that you've never prayed with before, if possible, And I want you to look at them. Go ahead and look at them. It's not weird. And just say, look, I'm going after God. You better adopt it. There, those two right there. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. All right. If they're going after God and you're going after God, we might as well do it together. We're in this together. We might as well be together. We might as well walk together. We might as well pray together. We might as well fight together. We might as well rejoice together and laugh together and weep together and fast together and do all of these things together. So tonight, why don't we join hands and lift those hands up toward heaven and together lift our voices right now. Come on, let's join hands. Uh, let's join our voices together and begin to praise the name of Jesus begin to lift up the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in this place you are not in this alone we're in it together we're in it together we're in it together and we're stronger when we're side by side we're stronger when it's not just me by myself I need you and you need me and thank God we have each other we've got the body and we've got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords Come on, would you lift up a sound of praise together in this house today? Hallelujah! We worship you, Jesus. We've come to magnify you and you alone, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus. I'll praise in the valley. I'll praise on the mountain. I'll praise when I'm sure and praise when I'm doubted. I'll praise when outnumbered and praise when surrounded. Hallelujah. Cause praise is the waters my enemies drowned Can you sing it with us tonight? As long as I'm breathing, I've got a reason to praise the 
I'll praise when I don't. Come on, would you do that tonight? I'll praise because I know you're still in control. Stop. 
do that right now. Thank you, Jesus. I've got a reason to praise you. I've got a reason to praise you tonight. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what I feel like, God. You deserve my praise. Come on, let every free hand be lifted in this house tonight. Uh, if you're going to leave a hand down, uh, that's a sign that that hand is bound. Uh, but if you've been set free by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, you ought to lift your hands uh, and lift your voice with your hands. Uh, lift your hands and lift your voice with your hands. Uh, and let there be a praise in your mouth. Uh, come on, uh, let every hand be lifted. Uh, let every voice be lifted. Uh, let every every hand be lifted. Uh, let every voice be lifted. Uh, let every hand be lifted. Uh, let every voice be lifted. Uh, let every hand be lifted. Uh, let every voice be lifted. Uh, let every hand be lifted. Uh, let every voice be lifted. Uh, Come on, go ahead and lift your hands in this place. Go ahead and lift your hands in this place. Go ahead and lift your hands in this place and lift your voice. Go ahead and lift your hands and lift your voice. There is liberty if you want it. There is freedom if you want it. There is breakthrough if you want it. There is joy if you want it. There is peace if you want it. There is a freedom in the house tonight. ever want to hold back my praise from the king who deserves all that I could give. And if you think I'm crazy when I praise, then I guess you're going to see a little bit more because I'm going to be yet more vile than thus and I'll be base in my own sight. There's something about praise properly done that brings you down to a level of being base in your own sight. And that's the real reason some people won't praise the Lord. They refuse to abase themselves to exalt him. All right. Well, the children's discipleship class can be dismissed. Whew. There is resistance in the house tonight, but we're not going to focus on the resistance because there is freedom in the house tonight for anybody, anybody that wants it. Amen. Amen. All right. You may be seated. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Second Timothy chapter three and verse one. Reading this week from the New Living Translation, this is by now becoming a familiar portion of Scripture for us. Uh, we are in a little bit of a series or just focusing on some aspects of this portion of Scripture. Paul writes to Timothy and says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. You know, what's interesting about this is he doesn't describe geopolitical events as these difficult times. 
That's what we always define difficult times as. Oh, well, this person's president, or this war is going on, or this famine's happening. But Paul says, look, very difficult times are going to come. And then he begins to describe the inner state of man, not the outer state of affairs. There's always going to be chaos, and in fact, Jesus said that there would be wars and rumors of wars. There would be earthquakes and famines and pestilence. and All of that is going to occur, occur, but another marker of these last days will be that people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. There is a vast difference between religion and godliness. You, you can go through the motions without ever being godly. You can come, and shout, and dance, or sit, and check the box of attendance to any number of denominations, but there is a power that desires to make you godly, to make you like him. And a sign of the end will be when people are satisfied to act religious but reject the power of God working in their lives that would cleanse them and make them like him. And Paul warns us, stay away from people like that. Well, we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, if that is the state of the last day man, we read this from Acts chapter 2 and verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. That it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. So while this world is becoming darker and darker, it is the plan it is the, 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 the intention of God for his spirit to be poured out on anybody that wants it. I'm thankful to be a part of something to which there is no pedigree. My, my parents are in the house tonight, but my parents don't have a, a deep Pentecostal pedigree. Ministry isn't, family isn't a requirement for ministry. Well, bless God. You don't have to have 17 deep generations of tongue talkers to be used of God mightily. Now, I'm thankful for the heritage that I have. And if you were raised in an apostolic home, you have already won the lottery. But if you have ever had a chance to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and have your sins washed away, so have you. And it's available to 
anybody that wants it it does not matter the atmosphere that you were brought up in it does not matter the dynamic of the home it does not matter the last name that you have embossed on the cover of your Bible what matters is that you've got a hungry heart because in the last days God said I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on the servants and the handmaidens I'll pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above. And signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness. And the moon into blood. Before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We live in the last days and God has promised to pour out his spirit on anybody that wants it. Amen. Tonight we're going to talk specifically about a couple of portions of that reading from 2 Timothy chapter 1 or 3. We briefly touched on one of them last week, but we're going to talk tonight about those who have no self-control and those who love pleasure rather than God. You've heard me say it before. You'll hear me say it again. Self-denial is the calling of every disciple. Every Christian believer is called to a life of denying their flesh and yielding their spirit. You cannot mature beyond this or past this. Until you learn to deny yourself, you in fact are not a follower of Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, Jesus said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's the same shall save it. For what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 tells us that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Go ahead and poke your neighbor in the ribs and tell him self-control. Amen. And there is no law against these things. It is something that you were not naturally born with, 
but it is something that when you are born again is produced inside of you. That is not to say that humans do not have some capacity within them to control self and control desires. In fact, there are people that have never been born again that have conducted incredible athletic feats far, far exceeding anything of my capacity. I cannot run a sub-five-minute mile. Can't do it. Not going to happen. I don't care how hard I try. I have short, stubby, chunky legs, and I tell you again, I'm like a walrus on land with my athletic ability. But there are those who have been able to discipline their mind and their body to overcome things that were thought unsurpassable. It was just a few years ago that a man of the last name Kipchoge ran a sub-two-hour marathon. Sub-two-hour, 26.2 miles. That means he averaged over 13 miles an hour for one hour, 59 minutes, and some odd seconds. Whereas I cannot run a sub-five-minute mile, he ran 26 of them, in a row. You see, he disciplined a will, and along the way, he learned how to deny himself some Twinkies, some Marco's pizza, and he learned how to push the plate away. He learned how to get out of bed while it was still dark out and begin to prepare. He learned how to discipline his life so that he could reach towards a goal. And I've come today to challenge somebody, to encourage somebody that it is time for you to grow in an area of discipline in your life because we have a far greater goal that we're reaching for than a sub two-hour marathon. I've got a goal of walking through a gate of pearl and down a street of gold and seeing my Savior face to face. I've got a goal of being like him in this world. I've got that goal and there's a hope down inside of my heart to see him and as John would write in 1 John chapter 3 every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. But we are not, as a species, all that great at self-denial. From the beginning, we've struggled. What's more, we're also, as a species, not all that great at hearing the word no. I've got one word and one word only for you tonight. No. When our desires aren't all that engaged, it's easy to receive. Okay, all right, I guess not. But the moment that our human will and desire is after something, when that simple little word descends into our conscience and filters through our ear and kind of caresses its way across our language center of our brain. It's as if something inside of our spine suddenly stiffens and we stand to our full height and say, what did you just say to me? God, from the beginning, has told humanity, no. 
in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, The Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Not only are we bad at hearing no, we could use some improvement in telling ourselves no. God has every right to tell us no. He possesses all knowledge and is the source of all wisdom. You will never learn anything that God does not already know. Furthermore, he is holy. That means that he is pure. He never lies. His motives are above reproach. My lack of understanding does not impugn his character. God can tell me no and give me no explanation. And he is still right. He's still good. He's still pure. And he's still holy. Because holiness is his nature, and because love is his nature, I can trust the no of God, even when it's challenging for me to hear. Because I know that God would never harm me. God desires me to be with him forever. And Adam and Eve momentarily lost sight of the fact that God would not keep any good thing from them. But there was a no placed in front of them. And human will got involved, prodded along by the subtlety of the serpent, yes, and tempted as she was by the smooth voice of sin, yes. But there was something inside of Eve that rebelled against the word no. God is perfect has all knowledge and wisdom. You and I, on the other hand, we were shapen in sin and formed in iniquity. Let me just help somebody tonight. God is infinitely smarter than you are. And that really bothers you. He is smarter than you are. He's wiser than you are. And it irks you because you can't figure him out. How am I doing? Whew. Everybody breathe a sigh of relief. Say, he must be talking about you. God sees things that you cannot comprehend. We exist in this puny little space called time. And God fills all of eternity. 
my life, if I'm blessed to live 80 full years, is nothing but a vapor. But it's been as if it was just one day to the Lord. This long day that you struggled through, it's been as if a thousand years to the Lord. His mind is so much higher and so much greater. Let's, let's try it this way. This is just a small, a small taste. Everybody close, your, close one eye. Now take your other hand, make an O, and hold it up over your open eye. Okay? How much of your vision do you now have? Not a whole lot. How would you like to drive to church tonight like this? Now, make the circle even smaller, and now you're getting down to about where we live. Now, open both eyes and behold the full picture. And you begin to get a little bit of an understanding. I look at my situation, I look at my circumstance, and I've got a choice to make. I can either look at my circumstance, or I can look at my God. I can look at my circumstance, or I can look at my God. And the longer I keep my eyes on my circumstance, the more of my vision it fills. But the longer I keep my eye on my Savior, the more of my vision He fills. That's why it's important for us to have a proper understanding of perspective. But God is not limited by a human mind. His ways are far beyond finding out. His knowledge far exceeds anything that I could even ask or think. And so while I'm over here fretting about this that he told me no to, he's trying to lead me to a place where he can say nothing but yes. Adam and Eve were locked in on one tree in a garden and they were focused on a tree of knowledge and good and evil when all around them was every tree that was good to eat and pleasant to the sight. And all they had to do was go and pick. But the no of God rose something up inside of humanity that bucked against it because we don't like hearing no. When I was at Fort McCoy for pre-mob training, we did some, we'll share a fun story just to lighten the tension a little bit. We were taking a Humvee off-road qualification course. And if anybody ever asks you if you want to take a Humvee off-road driving course, you just say, yes, please. Uh, and so part of the course was to get certified driving with night vision goggles and, stunningly enough, at night, Without night vision goggles. If you've ever driven a vehicle off-road in the dark with no night vision goggles, it's a wild experience. I challenge you. Go have fun. Uh, don't come after me when your insurance rejects the claim, though, okay? But with a night vision goggle, you have about a 40-degree field of view. And we were driving in convoy in the dark, everything green, looking through essentially a tube of toilet paper. It's challenging. And that's what you and I are. Our understanding is limited. And that's all right. 
Our understanding is finite, and that's okay. That's where faith comes in. That's where belief in his goodness comes in. That's where trust comes in. That's why he being a holy God is an important fact. That's why he takes all of the time to tell us the gods of, of, of nations before him, the gods of nations before him were, were sinful, they were wicked, they were fickle, they used humanity as their sick game, but this God is pure and he's holy and he's right and he would never harm you. He would never do anything that would limit your ability to accept his will. There are times God will tell us no. Anybody ever been familiar with that? Moses heard a no because he didn't walk how God desired him to walk. In Deuteronomy 32 and 52, God told him, so you will see the land from a distance but you may not enter the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. You see, if you refuse to do or you refuse to behave as God asks you to behave, then God just might tell you no from the desires of your heart. It is tragic to me that Moses, in a moment of human weakness, went beyond what God desired him to do. And God had to tell him no. What about David? His desires were noble. His motives were pure. His heart was in the right place. What's more, the man of God said, do all that is in your heart. But then the next day comes back to David and says no. There's another layer and another wrinkle on the entire thing. David doesn't even hear the no from the lips of God himself. He hears the no from a man of God that overnight changed his opinion. You want to talk about hard to receive. But David, to his credit, doesn't stiffen up. He doesn't buck up. God gives him a promise and says, look, I know you want to build me a house, but I'm going to make you a house. And David says, Lord, it was my desire to make you a temple. But who am his, his response to God's no was, who am I? Never forget the role that Nathan played in this whole thing. God may tell us no on the basis of our motives. James chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You ready for a little marriage counseling? If there are quarrels and fighting in your home, they're coming from the evil desires at war within you. And you can't get mad at me because it's literally just scripture. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. 
Now, I think that for the most part in this room, we've moved far past jealousy of mere material possessions. But if you'll allow me for a moment, and this is not in my notes, but I feel it in the Holy Ghost right now. There, is, there can be a jealousy of the spiritual blessings of others. There can be a jealousy of somebody else's walk with God. There can be a jealousy of somebody's upbringing. You can look at so-and-so and think to yourselves, well, they don't struggle like I struggle. They don't go through what I go through. They don't feel what I feel. If they had to battle the same things that I have to battle, they wouldn't be like they are. But you don't know what each individual battles. You don't know what somebody goes through in the darkness of their home. You might think if I just had their money or if I just had their opportunity or if, if pastor ever paid attention to me like he pays attention to them, man, I could be somebody. But you don't have what you want because you're not asking God. God for it, but instead there's a jealousy that rises up inside of you. Uh, there's a jealousy that says, I can't have it because they can't. They have it. As if our God was limited. As if there could only be one anointed person. As if you're the only one with problems. We doing all right tonight? I did not come here with the intention to be this heavy, but my goodness. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Or what will remove your pain. Elijah. Elijah got told no by God. I'm convinced that there are moments when God tells me no that I should probably shout and dance. Because Elijah lays down under a juniper tree and says, Lord, it's enough. Take away my life. Or in the modern parlance, kill me now. Anybody ever prayed that? And God says, no. No. Your motives are wrong. Your timing is wrong. Elijah actually never got his prayer answered. He never got to die. Not only did God tell him no, he so resoundingly told him no that instead of allowing him to die, a few years down the road, he showed up and took him in chariots of fire. What a great answer from God. No, not now. Not ever. And Paul requests the same thing. Lest we think Paul is something that is beyond and unattainable. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul is writing, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations... There was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Maybe, just maybe, the reason you're struggling so much is because once you learn to deal with the thorn in your flesh, there's an abundance of revelations that God wants to unlock upon your conscience. Just maybe. Maybe. 
Maybe you're battling because there's a high height that God wants to take you to. And until you learn to tell your flesh, no, he can't trust you with the revelation. But Paul said, I asked the Lord three times, please take this from me. And God said, nah. But God didn't just leave him there. And God will never just leave you there. Because he said also to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. And I can encourage you tonight, if you're living in the middle of a no, if you're stuck in a rut and you can't find your way out, uh, his grace is sufficient for you. You're not always going to live with that problem. You're not always going to battle with it. You're not always going to struggle with it. The thorn may never go away, but His grace will always be sufficient. The depression may always lurk. The tendency towards overthinking may always lurk, but His grace will always be sufficient. You may daily have to get up and crucify your anxiety and fears, but His grace will always be sufficient. Your poverty may never leave you in the natural, but His grace will always be sufficient. You may have to daily crucify insecurities, but His grace will always be sufficient. You may always be in a run from the old man and daily have to crucify some addictions and make sure that you don't revisit some places but his grace will always be sufficient for you and his strength is made perfect in weakness and so Paul reached a place having heard no from God three times Paul now says most gladly therefore Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me? Stop hiding and stop being ashamed of your testimony and your past and your temptations and your trials. Because every trial that you overcome by the grace of God lays the power of Christ upon you and brings glory to him. Because you overcame your infirmities. Why? You took your eye off of your problem and you fixed it back on your God. And you are shouting into the spirit realm that my God is bigger than anything that his puny little foe can heap against me. He went even further and said, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in necessities. I take pleasure in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And then he gets the glory. But it all starts when God tells you no. In Acts chapter 16... We read that Paul has gone throughout the entire region of Galatia. 
and the Bible says they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Their motives were pure. Their hearts were right. They wanted to preach the gospel. And the Holy Ghost said, not just no, but forbid them from preaching the gospel. It wasn't like a, nah, not today. It was like, don't even do it. It's like that face parents make when their kid is testing them. That long countdown. One. Two. Don't make me come over there. Two and a half. Oh, you're going to make me do it. I'm thankful for a God that's that patient with me. Because just like your children struggle to hear no, so do we. And God says, no, you can't preach here. And so they were come to Mysia, and they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. The Spirit wouldn't even let them go. He said, no, don't go there. And so they're still trying to find the will of God. And so they, passing by Mysia, come down to Troas, and finally a vision appears to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. And I ask you today, couldn't God have just told them where to go straight out? Would that not have been a far simpler route Of course he could have. Just like God could wiggle an eyelash right now and every single problem in this house could be solved instantaneously. But he doesn't do it. And he's justified in not doing it. And we have no right to condemn him and point a hand back towards him and tell him that he does not care. Of course he could have spoken to Paul and said, hey, Paul, I know you want to go here, but just go to Macedonia. But he let Paul go on probably several weeks of journey from city to city to city, finding and searching for a place where he could preach the gospel, all the while repeatedly telling him, no, not here, not here, not here either, not here, not here, go over there. Also that he could test the attitude and the response of Paul to hearing a no and never receiving an explanation as to why. Mysia needed the gospel, but Paul wouldn't be the one to preach it to him. God said no. Is your trust in God large enough that he can tell you no, and never explain why. What if the God who can heal every sickness, every disease, and any condition known to man chooses and tells you, no, I'm not going to heal you? What if the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the God 
who could open the windows of heaven and rain. I mean, we could be like, we could all be Scrooge McDuck swimming in piles of gold doubloons. He could do that. But what if he lets you go hungry tomorrow? How do you respond when you hear the word no? In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, I, I, I want to say this. I promise you, in no way, shape, or form am I upset or angry or anything of the sort. I hope it's not coming across that way. I'm getting some nervous stares. I got, I got one of these. <laughs> but then it was a joke. Okay. How do you respond when you hear no? I know that sometimes I'm not very good at it. Picture your child the last time that they threw themselves on the floor and kicked their feet and screamed and flailed. For some of you, that's a ways out. For some of you, you're about to experience that. And welcome aboard. You do realize that's exactly what we look like in the spiritual realm. Or then there's the child that just resolutely sits there with their arms folded and crossed and sits down and says, exactly what we look like in the spirit realm. You can live a life of going to church and never tell God yes. We don't like hearing no, but we don't mind saying no. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, Jesus says, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. One of the primary purposes of prayer is for you to tell yourself no. It is for you to bring your will down and bring his will up in your life. It is for you to surrender control of your life and say, thy will be done, not mine. We have no greater example of this than Jesus Christ himself. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But the amazing thing of it is, God did not have to say no. He told himself no and said, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And that is the place of mature Christianity where we, we, we bring our re requests, we bring our petitions, we bring our prayers to God. But at the same time, in the other hand, we bring to him and tell him, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In one hand, I've got the request. In the other hand, I've got the release of my will. 
In the one hand, I'm asking him, God, uh, would you heal? But in the other hand, I'm releasing and saying, God, even if you never do, I'm always going to serve you. In the one hand, I'm saying, God, would you work this situation? Uh, But in the other hand, I'm saying, God, I may not understand it, but I trust your ways. Uh, In the one hand, I'm praying, God, uh, would you raise up this or raise up that? But on the other hand, I'm praying, God, uh, I trust you totally. Uh, And if it be your will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And if you'll live in that manner, no is a lot easier to hear. We spend all that time learning about why God tells us no for this simple truth. If you cannot hear no, you'll never tell yourself no. We live in a day and an age where it's considered old-fashioned to deny yourself. But can I tell you, it is still the desire of God for any disciple of his to deny themselves, take up their cross, and to follow him. In the last day, when men love pleasure more than God, godly men still tell themselves no. They still allow the Spirit to speak to them and say no. They still set guidelines and boundaries for their families. As for me and for my house, no. We're not going to do that. We're not going to live that way. The world may say that it's okay, but I will deny myself. We don't have time tonight to talk about how completely overloaded the pleasure center of our brain is. We are pummeling our brains with constant stimuli. I think one of the best things you could tell yourself no to every once in a while is anything. Just say no to everything and go sit in a room and talk to God. Say no to even, this is going to get crazy, you ready? Say no to even working for the kingdom and go sit somewhere and just talk with him. Every once in a while, it'd be real good if you told yourself no and put the phone down and turn that little tiny bit of concentration that we have back up towards the heavens and say yes to him. You see, when you learn to receive a no, it becomes a lot easier to speak a no into your own life. When you've learned to live by the no's of Scripture, then you can start inheriting the promises of Scripture. But if you want all that Scripture promises, but none of the no from Scripture, you're not going to inherit them. Let's close with two portions of Scripture. And then we'll let the stone throwing commence. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and his grace is sufficient. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able 
But with the temptation will make a way or also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Let me encourage somebody tonight. You can deny yourself. Those cigarettes, they're not stronger than God. And they're not stronger than you with God's grace. And there is a way of escape. That depression, it's not stronger than you and God's grace. That doubt, that self-pity, that anxiety, that fear, God is faithful. And he, he, he could deliver you from it instantaneously. But for whatever reason, he hasn't. He said no. Because you need to learn how to say no to a couple of things. And when you learn how to tell this old flesh, nah, not today. Today you're getting out of bed, and I'm going to drag you to a place, and I'm going to hold you down, and I'm going to nail you to a cross. And that cross, I'm going to carry that with me. That is the price of being a disciple. When you do that... You're going to escape. Blessed, James says, is the man that endureth temptation. It is not a blessed feeling to be tempted. I mean, maybe you've got like some crazy death wish and you enjoy temptation. In which case... You need, you need help. You need to talk to the Lord. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when I, he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And there it is. I have to learn to tell my own lusts no in a world where men are lovers of their own selves and lovers of pleasures more than lovers of god it's time for me to be done the alarm is going off at eight o'clock sharp let's all stand in a world where men will love themselves and men will love pleasure more than god and men will reject the power that makes them godly. There is a God that is looking for a people that not only don't mind hearing him say no to a few things, but don't mind saying no to their own flesh. And when you learn to say no to your own mind, and you learn to fix your narrow little human focus back on Jesus Christ and off of your problem. God's spirit, which fills you, will flow through you like never before. I want to do something in the house as we close. I know this has been a little bit different tonight.
And there's some flesh that's come to the house. But we can practice this together. We can just tell ourselves no. The next time that your mind starts walking down, see, you've got to tell yourself no in your thought life very regularly. If you don't, your life is going to be an emotional roller coaster and you're going to be difficult to be around. You got to learn how to tell yourself no. No, I'm not going back to those memories. I've surrendered them to Jesus. I've put them at the cross. I don't have to go back there. Did you know you can you can determine in your mind, I'm not going back to that painful place. You can determine that in your mind by the grace of God. You can tell yourself no. When your brain starts going down the path of doubt, when your mind starts walking down the rational path and trying to explain away why God, God must have misunderstood or God, God doesn't understand what I'm going, you, you tell yourself no. God knows, God sees, God's pure, he's holy. I trust him. I don't even trust my own mind. I'm trying to communicate tonight to help somebody that the spirit of God living inside of you will empower you in these last days to be able to tell yourself no, to tell this flesh no, and to bring it to a place of discipline and self-control. And when you walk in self-control, you, you can't control anything if you can't control yourself. You want to you want to shout and dance and scream and hear preaching about casting down spiritual strongholds but you can't even tell your flesh no. When you can't tell your flesh no, what do you think Satan does when you tell him no? Just chuckles. But your power will come when you live by the saying of Jesus Christ, whosoever will come after me let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. So we're going to engage in something here. Now, I can't force anybody to participate. You can tell me no. It's all right. I mean, ultimately, it's not, but it, it's all right. I'll sleep tonight. Don't worry. Usually, most of the time, till about 3.30. I want across this place tonight to just lift our hands in just a moment. You don't have to do it yet. I don't want your deltoids getting tired. Those are your shoulder muscles for those who haven't taken anatomy yet. And I want us sincerely to ask God, where are you, is there, or let's do it this way. Is there an area where you're trying to tell me no? Ask him. And stay there. And give him enough time to answer for a moment. Can we do that together? Let's lift our hands in this place.
And let's ask him together, Lord, is there an area of my life that you're trying to tell me no? If so, Lord, I pray would you make it clear to me right now. My understanding is limited, but yours is not. My knowledge is limited, but yours is not. I pray, God, that you would help me right now. Lord, is there an area in my own 